Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, he's just this beautiful, prolific storyteller who, among other things, is also the creator, along with Lear de Bessonnet, of the public works program at the Public Theater in New York City that takes place every summer at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park that is a beautiful collaboration between professional actors and non-professional actors, hundreds of people coming together to perform Shakespeare under the stars. And I am so thrilled to welcome one of the stars of Girl from the North Country on Broadway, Todd Almond, to the podcast. Welcome, Todd. A-OK. Hey everybody, my guest today is Todd Amon. Todd is known for his singular songwriting in addition to his work as an accomplished performer. He recently toured the U.S. in his original musical, Kansas City Choir Boy, starring alongside rock icon Courtney Love, and starred in three of his original musicals at the famed Delacorte Theater in Central Park. His musical Girlfriend, based on the Matthew Sweet album of the same title, is a perennial favorite for theater companies around the country. He is also starring on Broadway in Girl from the North Country. And as we speak, his newest album has been released, dropped, streamed, whatever the kids say. (laughs) It's called A Pony for Christmas. I had the privilege and pleasure of getting to listen to it. And... um, Wow, it's so beautiful. And that with all the things you've been doing, you also somehow, during a pandemic, recorded an album of um, the most beautiful Christmas songs in your voice and your singular creative way of expressing yourself and making us all happy. So welcome, Todd. Thank you for being here. Hi, Alana. Thank you so much. That's so, so nice of you. I did record. It was fun to record during the during the pandemic. It felt like uh, such a relief to get into a creative space. So it was it was such a pleasure. So did how did you physically do that? And and were all the musicians and you in the same place, or or did you do it in a remote, weird way? No, I called my friend Peter Sacken, who's a, an incredible musician that everyone has worked with in New York. He's a cellist and a um, just a, a great musician. And I I called him and said, I want to do this. You know, how can we do it? And he immediately got excited about trying to figure it out. So what we ultimately did was we went to Spin Studio in Long Island City, and we just had pretty strict protocols in place. And so everyone was masked. We were we were in separate spaces, but 
the thing I didn't want to lose, which we um, we didn't lose, was the the ability to play together. So most of what you're hearing on the album is is us playing live. Everything's basically you know a one take, not necessarily the first take, but it's all like a live take. Um, so yeah, I mean Peter really just figured it out bit by bit. Yeah, it's gorgeous and it feels it sounds. I mean, I'm always a sucker for strings and horns. Me too. Um, and and you know, not just on a holiday album, just in my day, anytime yeah. I can get those kinds of instruments in my ears, it just fills me with so much happiness. And um, the the name of the record I'm a hundred, so I call it your record, a Pony <laughs> for Christmas. There's a, there's a song on on the album called A Pony for Christmas. I'm always fascinated. Um, I find titles really hard. Mm-hmm. How do you choose what the thing is called? I still I have a, an 18 year old daughter, and I love her name. But every once in a while, I'm like, "Ooh, that would have been a good name too." Um, <laughs> although Georgia, I love your name, and it's all good. Um, how did you decide that a pony for Christmas would be the name? Well, first of all, it's a really funny notion to think of titling your child. Like, it's a really that's a great notion. <laughs> Oh, that's it's a it's work called? of art. It's a work of art. So what's the title? What's the title for this? Forget work? baby naming. It's baby titling. Um, well, the interesting thing to me about the title A Pony for Christmas is that the title came first. I knew I wanted to name the record A Pony for Christmas, but I, that song did not exist. And the day, and this is absolutely true the day we were going into the recording studio and like i said peter had peter sacken had planned this day down to the micro beat of how we were going to get through it and i called him that morning and i said peter i know you've planned this whole day but i need to write a song called a pony for christmas and i'm going to do it right now and so we need to find <laughs> 20 minutes in the day to record this song and he paused and he went okay, (laughs) very happily like figured it out. But uh, I just knew there's something, I knew the song Ponies was going to be on the album and I just get a kick out of the idea of that song. And I, 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 I thought it would be extra amusing to me to have the title be A Pony for Christmas and have the song Ponies on the album. But then, like I said, it struck me, I need to have a song called A Pony for Christmas. And not unlike the song Ponies, I it was one of those bits of sudden inspiration where I went, oh, I know what the song is. I know what the song is. I know what it is. I don't have to think, I don't have to struggle for this one. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to just hammer it out because I know the big, when you kind of know the big beats of it, filling it in is the fun part. Uh, and it just, it was just one of those rare songs that kind of flew out of me. And I thought, okay, great. Now I can call this album A Pony for Christmas with... With no shame. Yes, with no shame. With no shame. shame. No imposter syndrome, because there really is a pony for Christmas on on uh, one of the tracks. You know, by the way, the other thing I failed to mention um, in your bio is while you're writing an album, waiting to hear if Girl from the North Country is coming back to Broadway, you also star on the reboot of Gossip Girl. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> and I actually reached out to my old friend, Josh Safran, who is uh-huh. the writer creator of this new version, just to say, because you're Gideon, that's the name <laughs> of, of Todd's character, um, uh, he, he reminds those of us in the Broadway community of someone in the Broadway community. Yeah in a very um, gentle, beautiful way. Um, 
but I, I asked him like, how did you know it was Todd to play this role? Um, and he said, the minute I saw Todd's read, first of all, I didn't need to see anybody else. And second of all, there are things that Todd did in his audition that I changed the arc of this character because of who he was. And he said, I don't even know if Todd knows this. And you'll describe in a moment who Gideon is to the mm-hmm. folks at home, because I, mm-hmm. I want to make sure we get it right and give it the respect that Gideon deserves. Mm-hmm. But he said there was a strength in Todd, an inner strength that informed how Gideon would navigate the news without spoiler alerts of what happened in his relationship, in his uh-huh. marriage. Mm-hmm. And that he originally thought I guess that the character would feel like roadkill, basically, mm. in the face of what happened. And but because it was in the hands and the artistry of Todd Almond, it became someone with so much strength from day one. Mm. And I and I'm sure you know this, but I, I thought it would be cool to share with you what he said. I didn't know that, so thank you for sharing that. Gideon is Oh, one of my favorite characters I've ever got to play. He is, well, let's see if we can put labels on him. He is a cis gay man who has is finding this new expression in himself that has manifested in, um, in outwardly at least in kind of in, in feminine couture and he's a very wealthy person so he's able to live this to the fullest possible degree so Gideon shows up in the most beautiful clothing he is interested in fashion and he has access to it and so um, his outside is beginning to express his inside. And I think that that's actually the beautiful journey of Gideon and where the conflict arises is that he feels that he's growing as a person and becoming more and more and more who he truly is. And uh, I guess without spoiling it, he's not necessarily getting that feedback from the outside world. Right. Um, Yeah. Is that the other thing Josh said, though, is that he hadn't realized because how tall are you? (laughs) <laughs> six six <laughs> that that here's this this character who's really embracing femininity in mm-hmm. in the way we have thought of femininity obviously mm-hmm. as we progress as a culture there doesn't need to be feminine culture uh, feminine and masculine fashion right right and that's the hope that right people, clothes are clothes yeah clothes are clothes and that that dresses are for everybody and pants are for everyone like that's the dream in my world i yeah. wake up and that's how everyone anyone can wear whatever they want without yeah, commentary right without commentary but yeah. but your husband played by the brilliant john benjamin hickey um yeah. that casting is phenomenal is just slower to understand i think a lot about this it's not that it's not it's not crazy for someone to go wait wait when we first met this wasn't what was happening right. um so so I I feel like the writers have tried to do a good job at sort of not painting anyone as the villain. Right. As much as like, okay, but wait, when I met you, you know, you were an accountant and now you're saying you're going to be a ballet dancer. I just need a minute to, right? Right. And I mean, I think that it comes down to, the conflict comes down to his saying you've changed and my saying 
no, I'm growing. I mean, exactly. I'm I'm actually becoming more of who I was. It's yes. not different. It's more of the truth. Yes. And that's where the that's where the conflict arises. And that's that's the dream for every relationship, right? Yes. That is people evolve in whatever mm-hmm. way they evolve and start finding truths about themselves that we're still loved and accepted in the process. And I and it's a really interesting conversation that the show in the middle of Gossip Girl, right? I, right. Which right. is like Mm, and then I'm going to eat some Gossip Girl for dessert, yes, right? Yes, like, yes, yes. But he has sort of snuck in mm-hmm. this kind of story, mm-hmm. and it is changing how people think. And I think it's incredible when art can do that, even on Gossip Girl, right? You know, it's really interesting. I, I Working with Margaret Collin, who plays um, Eleanor Waldorf, which... Also, Mark, my husband, and I are constant. Every once in a while, we'll just look at each other and go, You had a scene with yeah. Eleanor Waldorf. And I go, You I, ate latkes with her. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but she and I were talking about the character of Gideon, and I said, You know, that's a, it's a really, I think it's so great that Josh dialed into gay culture, like so specifically that he's able to talk about problems or, you know, issues that arise um, in gay couples that are, that are like, so deeply into gay culture that it doesn't feel like it's been represented on TV. And she said, it's actually interesting. What I like about Gideon and Roy is that it's so specific, but I also feel like it applies to me as a heterosexual woman. Like I somehow see a parallel. And I thought that was a beautiful thing where it's not, it's not just a stereotypical gay couple. It is a very specific issue within gay culture that somehow is now universal. I, I agree love 100%. That. Right love before that. the pandemic, I was I was starring in a play with Margaret at the Manhattan Theater Club. And in it, she played like a Jewish matriarch. And we, we renamed her Miriam because Margaret Collin, there's no one less <laughs> Jewish for reals. I mean, she's so outwardly Catholic and embraces her Catholicism and celebrates it. But I just, the idea, I would just call her Miriam every day. And, uh, and she's a really phenomenal actress. And I, I learned a lot working with her. She's incredibly courageous and brave and willing to go for it. And Mm -hmm. if it's not right, redirect, but like Mm -hmm. very, very, um, I don't know. I just watched her go. Oh my God! She it's day one. She's up on her feet. She's trying all this stuff. Yeah, Alana. I have to say, I did the same. We had this long day of filming the the Hanukkah scene, and I just watched her. I just every second, I thought, how how is she? How is she going to do this? What does she do? How is she? She is a great, and she's so easy and so open and friendly too. And then, yeah. So it makes you know you feel okay, just like I'm going to live in in totally. Margaret's space and just kind of absorb all that yeah. I can because she's so good. No, but it's true. She opens yeah. up this freedom. Everyone's like, oh, she's trying that. I mean, yeah. maybe they yep. won't use that take. Who cares? But it's yeah. like yeah. when you're yeah. doing the same thing for twelve hours. To you have this, um, I don't know, confidence to go, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to mix it up and they can yep. decide in the edit <laughs> what's they going to do. Yeah. And it's always fresh and it's always alive and it never, it doesn't start to feel heavy and yeah. No, it's, it's incredible. Oh, I, um, I want to go back to, I mean, the idea that you are on Gossip Girl, you're starring in this incredibly 
non-comedic musical on Broadway mm-hmm. based yeah. on a lot of Bob Dylan music that we know and a lot that we don't know. I mean, the mm-hmm. show really has introduced us to so many songs that weren't like the, the greatest hits of Bob Dylan, yeah. um, and which is really thrilling also. And, uh, and I first met you, I mean, I first met you because my husband, Dominic, was in a play called Stage Kiss by yes. the great Sarah Rule, and there was some music in it, and he's a non-singer, and he would come home every night going, there's this man, Todd Almond, who makes me feel like I'm allowed to be on this stage with everybody else, and has given him such confidence, so <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, he was so good. He was so good, but that was, was sort so- of my first time meeting you, but I had no idea, sort of, uh, sort of the favor you were doing by being in that show based on the breadth and scope of what you do musically in your life and in your Mm. pieces. And then the second time I saw you, you were doing your show with Courtney Love. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening right now? Um, So I want to go back. I know you're from Nebraska. Yes. um, And I think there, you know, we, I learned that when we were talking about Dylan and sort of roots and and musical Mm. roots. So when did you start to fall in love with music and when did you realize you could make your own? I can trace it through these few steps. Um, my father is a wonderful guitar player, amateur musician, loves music. And so for most of my childhood, instead of getting a story at bedtime, my dad would often sit on the edge of my bed and play a Beatles song or a John Denver song. So music as um, an acceptable language was introduced to me right away. And so I'm so always grateful to my, my dad for that. And then I had the the luck of knowing I really wanted to play the piano. And so I remember begging my parents, please, can I get a piano? Please, 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 I promise I'll practice. And then I they, I remember coming home from school and there was a piano. And so they were so automatically just, they were excited to put me on that path. And then I remember in grade school, I wanted to sing in the show choir so badly. That's all I wanted was to be, you know, everyone could sing in the choir, but the select few could sing in the show choir. And you just got to sing an extra song at the Christmas concert or whatever it was. That's all I could think about. I wanted to sing in the show choir and I, I, I did a little audition after school and the, or before school and the teacher said, music teacher said, you can't sing, You're, you can't be in the show choir. And I have a very distinct memory of sobbing for the rest of the day in every class throughout the day. The teachers knew what had happened. Nobody, they, I just cried. I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And cried. Cried and cried and cried <laughs> all day long. And then I was, you know, you let people into your brain. And then I thought, well, I can't sing. And I'm convinced that I can't sing. And so I'm never going to sing. But I have the piano, so that's great. And then a teacher in high school, I played the piano for all the choirs and my church choir. And it was just my thing. I was a pianist. And um, I was an accompanist, essentially. And the the choir teacher said, oh, well, we're doing all acapella music this year, so you're going to have to either, you know, find a different class or sing in the choir, and I think you should sing in the choir. And so that kind of forced me to realize, wait, I can sing. And then I got interested in musical theater, and then I kind of fell down the path that everybody else falls down. I saw Into the Woods on PBS, and I thought, well, that's something I want to do. And 
had a teacher who helped me get to, uh, she said, you should go to this conservatory of music. And so I guess saying all this out loud makes me realize, oh, it was always other people either encouraging me or shutting me down, but hope, but then someone else coming along and saying, no, you shouldn't be shut down. You should actually be open. So that's a nice way to think of it. I hadn't really thought of it that way before that my interest was really because of a lot of guides who said, you know, you're allowed to do this. And how about about this? And maybe you'll like this and let me show you this. And yeah. What about writing your own music and composing and, and, and being a lyricist sort of, when did you start doing that in earnest? I started writing, you know, sad little song, little, you know, singer songwritery, sad journal kind of songs. I think like a lot of people do. The boy version of Taylor Swift in your, in your bedroom. If, yeah, if only, I mean, they were, they were pretty terrible. Uh, And I was doing a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I was maybe 21, 22. And I'd written some songs. And my friend John Curley had a music studio out there. And John was in the indie world. He's the bassist for Afghan Wigs. And so he was just like really in that world that I loved. And, I, you know, he's such a he's he, he's such a rock star for me. And uh, I said, hey, I have these little songs. And, you know, I played him and my friend Sam a couple. And, and John said, I have a studio. Why don't you come to the studio and let's just fool around and record some songs. And so we did. And that, again, somebody giving me permission and encouraging me uh, changed everything. Suddenly I went through the horrible stage of recording songs that were bad or that were, you just not, you know, I hadn't found my voice as a writer yet. And so uh, thankfully John gave me that opportunity to, to um, learn how to be a songwriter in the studio. So when I met you, you would sort of, I guess Sarah rule had asked you to create, some music for her play. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know over the years, there've been many versions of that where like incredible playwrights have asked you to collaborate with them or, or on Shakespeare plays where the playwright wasn't in the room, but obviously like really profoundly gifted directors have asked you to kind of interpret things. But when I saw you, you were in a room with Courtney Love doing a musical that you had written, yes. um, not based on Shakespeare or Sarah Rule's work. Um, right. And Sarah is the Shakespeare of our day. Mm-hmm. Yes. But but how? So tell me about your your collaboration, your ongoing collaboration with Courtney Love, and how did that happen? So I. I guess I should tell you the story of the piece, which was called Kansas City Choir Boy. Um, one of my earlier writing for theater gigs was with a company called Theater Me Too, which was a downtown, um, you know, really interesting downtown theater company. We would write these big epic versions of like the Mahabharata or something, you know, so we were, you know, kind of highbrow and 10 people saw our shows and all yeah. you know, that kind of yeah. thing, but it was incredible. And uh, we were asked by Juilliard to write an adaptation of the Odyssey for their, I think it was the third years. And um, interesting side note, Oscar Isaac was in that cast in that because he was at school at the time. But uh, we, so we wrote the Odyssey and there was a young woman named Sarah Fox who played the goddess Athena. And uh, 
so my relationship with those actors was I was the guy who wrote the music for this show and my music directed and I was there and we did the show and it was great and it was fun. And, and uh, about a year after the show closed, I got a call and someone said, have you seen Sarah Fox? Nobody can find her. And I said, I don't really know Sarah Fox. So I, I mean, I, I've not seen Sarah since we finished the show. And I was home in my apartment in the East Village. And I remember turning on the TV and the news came on and Sarah Fox's face popped up and it said, you know, body of Juilliard student found in Inwood Park. And I made the face you're making right now, which our audience can't see, but I was just stunned to see if, you know, we've all seen the faces of people on the news our whole lives, but I'd never known the person whose face popped up uh, even a little bit. And so that was, a, you know, that was just a, a, a horrible, fascinating moment. And um, maybe a year or so later, two or maybe even more years later, I was doing a play in Kansas. I was at a pretty low emotional point of my life, trying to figure things out. And I was staying, uh, staying in a hotel or something, doing this play. And I turned the TV on and a face of a girl I didn't know popped up and said like, you know, girl missing. And, and it just brought back the image of Sarah and uh, I had my laptop computer with me and nothing else. I was in a dark place and I just thought I'm going to, I, I suddenly something bubbled up and I turned on my garage band and I started writing these songs. I just wrote a bunch of songs that were sort of inspired by being in the Midwest, being from the Midwest, these girls that go missing, trying to imagine what Sarah Fox's life might've been. You know, I didn't, I don't know her so I was just invent kind of using the memory I have of her and anyway long story short uh I wrote this musical called Kansas City Choir Boy that uh my friend Kevin Newberry who's a great opera director uh got really excited about prototype opera festival wanted something interesting and edgy for a late night show and something and we sort of hit all the boxes we were interesting we were edgy and we were an hour long perfect <laughs> and, yeah uh, yes we'll so it. we hit we just happened to like hit all the yeah. tick all the boxes and i had gotten to know courtney socially through my husband um and we just really clicked and hit it off and I, is he her agent Yes, he works with her on certain aspects okay. of her okay. career. Yeah. So you were already married at the time. Yes. So I had written the musical years ago and then met Mark and then met Courtney and then showed the musical to Kevin and then the prototype thing happened. And then Kevin and I were on the phone and, and the... The description of the character is she just has to be somebody that you look at and think, well, you are destined for, you're, you're, you're greater than the rest of us. We, yes. It's clear by looking at you that you yeah. exist on a higher plane. And ephemeral. Yeah, you yeah. have that goddess quality. And Kevin said, well, who in your mind's eye, like, who would be the perfect person? Like and I think I just, yeah, and I think I had just hung out with Courtney and I said, well, I mean, Courtney Love, can you imagine? And we knew we were doing it in a small theater at this opera festival. And and we and we kind of laughed because we thought, well, there's no way you, that would work out. And then we looked at each other and went, well, I mean, maybe it, I couldn't it be Courtney Love. And I 
talked to Mark about it and I said, you know, what do you think? And he said he thought that was a great idea. She'd been wanting to do theater. And so we he played her some of the music and she really liked it. And she knew me and she said, I think so. I think let's talk about this. And so it just kind of kept, it, it kept saying yes. The universe yeah. kept being like, yeah, okay, 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 let's do this. And then Courtney was fully on board. She came over to my, she came to our apartment for, she was staying somewhere else, but she came over every day for a week over Christmas time. And she said, can I, the one rule is, can, can I, I'll do this if you'll let me smoke in your apartment. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're Courtney Love. You can smoke in my apartment. It's fine. So she worked so hard. We would stay up all night singing these songs over singing and, over and over. smoking and singing and smoking singing and smoking. <laughs> Just like three a.m. She's like, "Let's do the whole thing again. Let's start from the top. Let's do the whole show." Okay, and were let's you go. having? Were you just having the greatest time? I lost my mind. Can you yeah. imagine? No. I'm in my apartment in New York singing songs I wrote with Courtney Love, who's wandering around smoking, and we're just. And she's like, what if the song, what if we like rocked out here? And, you know, she's got, I got the guitar and she's grabbing it. And we're she's like, let's be Stevie Nicks and, and Lindsay Buckingham in this moment. I was like, okay, great. Let's do it. Oh my God. And it just then, you know, that, that it was like, she was the mad scientist Frankenstein who brought this creature to actual life with her electricity. I mean, suddenly there it was. Yeah. And, and what you didn't know, or maybe you, you did. And sometimes it doesn't even matter with certain stars because they're just so, you can't stop looking at them anyway. Yeah. But what a good actress she is in the piece, so right? Good. Like that's the, that's the thing you don't know. It doesn't matter. It wasn't going to change your mind. But also for me, that was what was so incredible that she was riveting. And of uh -huh. course she sings songs in a way that are, it's just so deeply felt, yeah. but also she was such a good actress. She's maybe one of the top three people I've worked with who is always there always available, always right in your eyes, has never checked out, is not phone, like is always, always like on the edge of being alive all of the time, which makes sparks fly. You can't, it's, it's such a singular gift that she has. Is she open about her past and talking about her relationship and Kurt Cobain and all of that? Or is that sort of not something that's kind of, I don't know, front and center anymore? She's really open about it. The thing that I realized in being around her and, and talking about it was just how long ago that was. Mm -hmm. Such a long time ago, you know? I think of myself 30 years ago. What a different person. Um, she's very open about, mm -hmm. about her life. And the, the images I take away from the conversations, and I don't want to speak for her, I can of only course. speak for my own images, is that, that how in love they were just how true that love was and how full of complications and and my god all the fame and the drugs and um but the the genuine love and you know every we, we toured the show around the country and fans show up and people have a lot to say and people have a lot of nasty things to say and people have their own you know, the conspiracy theorists now have children who are conspiracy theorists. You know, it just kind of never ends. It never ends. Yeah. And so she's still navigating sort of people thinking that she has a part in this or, yes. or right, bears some responsibility for it. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, well, yeah. when I got to meet her 
the night I saw your show, I, she was just so gracious and just mm -hmm. um, so excited to be in your show and, and to make this, you know, play happen with you. And you guys have done it a lot. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did the run in New York and then, which I think was actually perfect that it was a limited run in a small, hard, Intimate, small venue theater, yeah. an impossible ticket to get, you know, it was like all that stuff that was great. It wasn't a Broadway run that was going to run for yeah. 15 months and have to sell a million. It was kind of perfect. And then we, we duplicated that in some cities around the country. And um, I have to say, she always had gifts for everyone in the show. She would bring flowers to everyone's dressing rooms. The way you said, she was so gracious, so kind. I mean, there was one night where one person in the show was throwing a fit and threatening not to go on. And that person was not Courtney Love. <laughs> and that person was Todd Ament. It was, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but she talked you through it and she explained that the show she, must go on. Truly, truly. Um, now that you are starring in, uh, in girl from the North country, which how incredible, I mean, there were so many conversations all through the pandemic that I had with so many Broadway artists wondering, hoping, you know, some shows weren't able to come back. Some producers really were able to yeah. hold the theater and their company for the most yeah. part intact. Yeah. Um, when you are just in something, is mm -hmm. it a tremendous relief for you to go to work and just show up? Or is the part of you that is used to orchestrating, conducting, writing and traffic hopping, are you able to turn that part of your head off? Oh, I can turn it off. I okay. love, I love, love it's like a day being at the actor. spot for you. Oh, it's so incredible. I, there are so many moments. I mean, this piece feels, your your collaborative voice is invited, but I really do just love like, oh, I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to be an actor. I'm going to do it. I'm going to shut my mouth and just do my be part. An actor. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part. And I love I love it. I love it. I love that. In fact, I met with um, my theater acting agent the other day and I said, I really want people to know that this isn't an anomaly. I'm really available I'm for this kind of work. Yes. I am available. That's so good. Well, that is good to know. Noted casting <laughs> listeners and writers and directors. Um, tell me what being tall has mm. meant in your career, do you feel like it's been the thing that has helped you? Do you lie about your height the way some people lie about age or or mm. weight or all kinds of things? Oh, you know, it's a. I feel like it's a moment for the psychiatrist couch because I, I was, I, I got very tall right at the time I was feeling. Um, particularly conspicuous for being a gay kid in a very conservative time and place. And so it felt like such a bummer. Right. How <laughs> do I hide? Tall. I, How, I yeah. can't hide anymore. I can't hide anymore. Um, how old are we when this is, when, when you think back to that time, like how old I are mean, you? I mean, like 16, 15, mm -hmm. 16, right then when, you know, it's very clear to everybody that who I am, and it's, it, you know, this is 
early mid nineties we're talking about. So there's no internet. There's no, I mean, I felt whatever, everyone has a sad story, but I did, I felt pretty alone, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of people do at that age. And so the height thing, I suppose it was a gift in a way from when I look back, because I I had to uh, figure out how to stand in my own space. And for a long time as a, as an aspiring actor, I felt like it got in my way but when I look back, I think that might have just been um, an excuse for my own maybe lack of preparedness or, or clarity um, of intention in my work. Because now I, I really see it as a positive. I, I, I actually get cast in very interesting roles now. Um, and I think going back to Gideon from Gossip Girl, it's fascinating that Gideon is becoming who he is outwardly and is so freaking tall i mean you can't miss gideon at an event you cannot miss him and i think that is a really beautiful thing i mean he's he's the brightest flower in the room and the freaking tallest Mm -hmm. and you you can't you can't miss him there is no ignoring gideon there's no ignoring gideon and i think it works really well for girl from the north country there's a line late in the play when mark kudish who plays my father says he never got older. He just got bigger. He mm-hmm. just got bigger. And I think that, you know, that line was there before I was. Right, but, but it, it resonates. Resonates. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we know how old your character is in that play? Well, this is funny. I said during the pandemic, oh, man, I am stretching the uh, the the credulity of this because time is passing people and we just lost two years yeah 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 Oof, it was it was rough before and boy boy there's not enough pancake makeup in the world uh i mean it says in the script 30s which i'm not i'm past that so uh you know i just like to think theater is the art of suggestion and so well, if you say mark kudish who's really only 10 years older than yeah. I am, my father then you know that's the beauty of theater you absolutely just it. you well it. yeah. it's also beautifully lit as you know um and it is it is actually very darkly lit this show i'm sure people have told you like yeah um you know the experience it's like you're in this womb you know mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. it's very it's very I mean, so much of Girl from the North Country, every designer has brought their unique gifts to this show. It is like watching a moving life-like painting. It's so incredible. It's, I mean, I'm sure you've been able to sit in the audience, you know, during tech or something and see. It's astonishingly beautiful. It is such a beautiful looking show. And it's the only process I've ever been in where, you know, usually they're trying to figure out how to brighten things up but they yeah. connor connor just kept saying um how can we get how 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 dark, how can dark yeah can we get those lights a little lower and then there's a moment where there's very very bright light and that just feels like it's an no. astonishing moment it's exciting we can't believe we get to be that bright yeah, yeah after all of this all of that is to movie. say you can't tell how old anybody is because yeah. you, you're five <laughs> like you, you know they call you the kid you're the kid like we all know who everybody is um it's such a painful and beautiful show i mean you know talk about anytime you watch unbelievably poor people mm-hmm. find gratitude and joy Mm-hmm. within the darkness it's such an uplifting thing to be a part mm-hmm. of is the audience mm-hmm. and there are some really jubilant moments within 
um, and, and community, right, within mm-hmm. the hardship of every single person in mm-hmm. that show and yeah. i and i love you know i've i've been able to talk to kimber and a lot of different people who who star in it with you and you know i feel like the writing is just so smart because there are no villains and there are no heroes mm-hmm. everyone really mm-hmm. is just a human doing the best they can yeah which is an interesting life lesson you know when you think back of people who whether it's earlier in the day or 20 years ago sort of did you wrong if you think about well, maybe that was them doing their best, or maybe they just weren't equipped to, you know, handle that situation better. It is, I, I, I like art like this that makes me consider that sort of yeah. thing. You know, people are very complicated and you never know if what they're saying is true. You never know what they're hiding, what if, you know, um, what they want. And why. Right. And why? What's the why? I think that's true. And yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's just thrilling to see you in it. Um, It's just so incredible to me, your range and your ability to be hilarious and then darkly moving and, and um, you know, the music you write and the lyrics that you write are just so deeply informed by the human experience and it makes it so accessible to everyone, even though it's your individual journey and experience Mm. that, that is bringing it, you know, onto the page as it were. And then, so to see you in girl from the North country and, and to know, you know, Kansas city choir boy as an audience member, and then to listen to your Christmas album, (laughs) which is just the antidote to anything that ails you. Um, and to have that bright light coming out um, of the really dark time our, our world has been experienced, it's such an incredible mm-hmm. gift. I encourage everybody to find it and um, start singing along to it. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's beautifully sung. The orchestrations are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The songs are great. The original, as well as tunes we know with a new spin on it. Um <laughs> Todd, before I let you go, because mm-hmm. you, you know, do have a show on Broadway to do, even though you haven't <laughs> written it. Um, tell me a little known fact about yourself. Uh, a little known fact about me is that <laughs> I have, Mayor Winningham finds this interesting. She always asks me about it because we talked about it one day. I have a deep obsession with um like classic horror and and sci-fi and i'm a bit of a nerd about it like i do the deep deep dive into into uh like obscure strange awful horror awful i mean like extreme like i love horrifying things i really love for all of the um just not not necessarily graphic but just like um upsetting like i really like to to watch like ex- just dark horror movies and I they can be the- from the 40s from the 30s they can be sometimes the earlier horror movies are actually even more deeply upsetting because there wasn't they weren't kind of censoring these really dark ideas yeah wow. i like 
really dark material. Yeah. Wow. I love yeah. that. I feel like yeah. that's going to be your podcast. <laughs> and I will listen. I don't like being scared. Yeah. Um, I don't either. That's the weird thing. So like, I hate it. Yet you love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm drawn okay. to it. I'm like drawn it. to it. I will watch. Yeah, Mark. I mean, I, I'll say to Mark, should I watch this horror movie tonight or this horror movie? Tonight? And then just like his, these titles, these titles, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm going to watch one of them. Which is it? So which I mean, one which is it? it um, well, I want to watch one with you. Thank you, Todd Amin. Yes. By the way, yeah. is Amin your real name? Yes, it is. That this Todd Jeffrey Amin, that's my real the name. The Amin family. It's, it yeah. just is. Where are the Amins from? A friend of mine who's an amateur genealogist traced us through this, which you you can hear this in my work. We've been in small Midwestern towns since, you know, all the way back to like the 1700s. He found us in Virginia for one little generation. And then ever since then, we've just been traveling through these tiny little Midwestern towns. And my family is still all in these tiny little Midwestern towns. Yeah, and then before that, we don't really know. There's some Dutch, maybe some um, like Bohemian, Czechoslovakian, but but he thought my amateur genealogist friend thought that we were um, British, but nobody really knows. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. We've traced it back. Yeah, I want to be an amateur genealogist in my next life. Isn't that, that just fun? Seems fantastic. Um, all right. Well, Mr. Almond, thank you, thank you for being on the show thank today, you. and I look forward to fun. seeing you soon. Thanks, Todd. Yes. Thank you. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa.